And the second reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. And you can find that on page uh, 1082 in your Bibles, or I think it is page 42 in your booklets if you have them. So chapter 4, starting at verse 1. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dean and Camilla. Why don't you take a moment by yourself, just take 30 seconds to prepare your hearts and minds to hear God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do ask that as your word goes out this morning, that you would touch each one of us by your spirit, that you would feed us, that you would nourish us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd spur us on, you'd comfort us, you'd challenge us, that you'd change us. Ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I don't normally begin sermons by quoting a Christian romance fiction author. Uh, But this quote by Francine River is excellent. She writes, Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm and let him fight your battle. Don't try and fight alone. See what she's saying? She's saying that when the trials comes and when the troubles comes, do not try and fight alone because you've got a Lord, you've got a God, you've got a Heavenly Father who is more powerful, who is more knowing, who is more loving, who longs for you to run to him for help. I've met those Christians where they just seem to have this peace about them. They seem unshakable. Uh, these Christians, that no matter what they're going through, the trials and the tragedies, the highs and the lows, their, their faith is just rock Solid, you ever met those Christians? They're not robots. You know, they're not, they do have feelings, they do have emotions, they do grieve, they do cry, but their, their trust in the Lord, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not shaken. They stand firm. That, that word is like a soldier who doesn't retreat, like a soldier who doesn't surrender. I'm going to stand my ground 
in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the best ground to stand in. I want to say this morning that if you want to stand firm in your faith, if you don't want to wobble in your faith, you don't want to wander in your faith, you need to know the God that you're standing firm in. You need to trust Him. You need to rely on Him. You need to run to Him. See what Paul says in verse 1, In this manner, stand firm in the Lord. Don't wobble. Don't wander. Don't be shaken. Don't retreat. Don't surrender. Keep being that Christian who keeps trusting God. Keep being that Christian who keeps pressing on in the Lord. Keep being that Christian who keeps living for Christ. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be the person who... Stands firm in Jesus no matter what the circumstance. Because I do. In this passage this morning, Paul addresses two areas of life that could cause you to wander. Two issues in your life that we all face that could cause you to stumble in your faith. And they're two really practical but relevant issues. He talks about conflict in the church family, divisions and fighting and factions in the church family that could cause you to wander from your faith. And I've seen that happen before, haven't you? And he talks about anxieties or worries, just the things of life that stress you out. And those stresses could cause you to wander from Christ. So we're going to look at those two areas in the positive. Here's the first one. Pursue relational peace. Paul is saying live at peace with each other. He's saying treasure those, that relational richness that the gospel brings. If you're fighting, if there is faction, if there is conflict, please sort it out. Because those conflicts could stop you standing firm in the Lord. Do you notice the relational language of verse 1? Paul says, so then, my brothers and sisters, you're dearly loved and long for. You're my joy and my crown. He calls the Christians brothers and sisters. That, that means that we're family, doesn't it? And the person in front of you, you may not know who they are, but if they're in Christ, they're your family. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. He uses the word in verse 1, dearly loved. Richly loved, loved by God, but loved by Paul. He loved them. He longs for them, verse 1. He yearns to see them again. He calls them my joy and my crown. That The church in Philippi are the source of his joy. When he hears about them standing firm in the faith, he has joy in the Lord. He calls them my crown, his future crown, that is. He, he pictures a day when he's going to stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul is not concerned about his possessions. He's not concerned about his popularity. He's not concerned about people. He is concerned about people, rather. He's concerned about the people who is one for Christ. He just wants those people to be standing firm in Jesus. Ever thought about the, the last day? Ever thought about Judgment Day? And, and you're going to see the hordes of people that you've done church with. Past, present, and future. And they're going to be surrounding the throne and your heart is going to beat with joy because they made it. They stood firm in their faith and they ran the race. That's how Paul feels. And I love the fact in verse 1 that he's not afraid to show his emotions. 
He says, I love you, church. You're my joy, you're my crown, you're my friends, you're my family. Is that how you feel about church? I do. I love church by the bridge. I love you. I love the joy that you bring me as I see people come to faith or growing in their faith or standing firm in their faith. I love hearing stories of Lisa, who's here this morning from the US. Like, you're standing firm in your faith. That brings me joy. I love the fact that there are Christians past, present, and future of Church by the Bridge who will be around the throne. That brings me joy. Have you got it? That church is not just names on a database. Church is not just people who sit in the same building. We are brothers. We are sisters. We are family. And the blood of God's Son bought me and it bought you. And so we're related. And that's what makes church so beautiful, isn't it? The relational richness that the gospel brings, the, the reconciliation that the gospel brings, the harmony that Jesus brings us when we relate as a family, as brothers and sisters. It is so, so beautiful when a family works well, isn't it? But the flip side is also true, you know. When there's fightings and when there's factions, when there's slander, when there's gossip when there is squabbling in God's church it is so ugly and you know that you know that conflict it cripples any organization doesn't it if you've been in a workplace where there's conflict and there's squabbling and there's slide it's not a nice place to be is it sporting teams don't function well if they're not on the same page if there's fighting And families, human families, where there's hidden hurts or unresolved conflict, they're not a nice place to be. And church is not a nice place to be when there's conflict and fighting and factions. It is tragic. It is tragic because it's basically denying the gospel truth that Jesus has bought us with his same blood and we are one. We are one in him. You ever heard the phrase, You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. I want to say you can't choose your church family. God chooses who are elect. God chooses who are chosen. God chooses who will be here as part of your family, and he calls you to live at peace. See, verses 2 to 5 are extraordinary. Paul calls out this relational issue in this church at Philippi. And please remember, this Philippian church is his precious church. He loves them. They're almost like his model church. But there are these two women in verse 2, Euodia and Sintichi, and they just cannot get on. And news of their fighting has reached Paul in prison in Rome because you know that, that the bad news travels faster than good news, doesn't it? You hear all about the bad news and the fighting and factions in the church. You don't hear about the good news quickly. And Paul actually names these two women, Euodia, verse 2, and Sintichi, verse 2. It's funny, you know, Paul rarely mentions people by name. When he does, it's often to encourage, to commend, to, to put them as an example but here, these two women are almost named and shamed. Now, these two women, Euodia and Sintichi, for all eternity, their, their names are written in the Bible as a, as a model of conflict in the church. 
Well, to imagine it's 9.45 on a Sunday morning in Philippi and the church doors open and people flock in and, and here's Sintichi and here's Euodia and, and they avoid eye contact at the door and they put in their name tags and they go and sit in church. Euodia's down here, I'm not pointing at anybody, Euodia's down here with her little group of friends, her followers and, and Sintichi's faction's at the back and they don't talk. And the pastor stands up and says, oh, we've received a letter from Paul in prison to the Philippian church. Let me read it to you. And he begins by saying, we're partners in the gospel. And, and these women are going, oh, yes, we are partners in the gospel. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hallelujah, pastor. Preach it, pastor. Consider others better than yourself. Oh, that's a bit more uncomfortable. But then we get to the good bit. I, mean, I want to know Christ. I do want to know Christ, they say. And press on towards the goal. I am pressing on, they say. And then there's a bombshell. You can hear a pin drop. As the scripture is read, as I urge you, you Odia, and you, Sintichi, to agree in the law. How do they feel at that moment? Ouch. Now, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul name and shame publicly? Why didn't he take them aside? i tell you why. Because conflict in God's church is disastrous. Unresolved conflict, it doesn't just impact the individuals, it spreads through the whole of the family. So what was the problem with these two women, Euodia and Sintichi? We don't know, do we? We're not told. How good is that? We can't say we don't have that type of conflict, so we're okay. I don't think it's doctrinal. I think if it's a doctrinal disagreement, Paul would have addressed that. There's no hint of heresy. There's no hint of immorality. I think these two women just can't get along. I came into church two years ago, and she gave me this look, this really weird look, and I have never forgiven her. I came to church one morning and I was on supper and she took over the supper roster from me and that was three years ago but I'm holding this grudge against her. Why was she asked to lead a hive group and I wasn't? Is that kind of pettiness? I think that's the issue here. Can you imagine Euodia and Sintichi coming to church and hearing their names? So Paul urges them he pleads with them, verse, verse 2. Do you notice how he urges both of them? I urge you, you urge you, and I urge you, Sintichi, because the fault's on both foot. It always is. He says, I'm not prepared to have grudges festering. I'm not prepared to leave hurts unhealed. I'm not prepared to leave fighting unforgiven because that violates the blood of Jesus. So I urge you, please, 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 agree in the Lord. Literally have one mind in Jesus. Now here's what he's not saying. He's not saying you'll always think identically about everything. He's not saying just sweep it under the carpet, pretend it never happened and love each other. He is not saying that you're always going to agree on every single bit of things. You're all going to be best friends. But he is saying agree in Jesus. Remember who you are in Jesus. You're a child of God and she's a child of God so your sister's in Christ. So instead of thinking, well, she needs to change, maybe start to think, well, how do I need to change? 
Instead of thinking, well, I'm not budging, think, well, what could I do to resolve this? He's saying, sisters, you both have fault. So sort it out. And then he brings in the whole church in verse 3. Again, he does that because a little division just brings down the whole church. He says, yes, I also ask you, true partner, we've no idea who that is, true partner, to help these women. They need help to be reconciled. And see how in verse 3 that these women have contended for the gospel at my side. That they're prominent Christian women, but they need help to resolve their differences. Often the case in area conflicts that you're blind. You're blind to the truth of it. You know, when I sit down and do a mediation thing, and you sit down with two people and they've had a disagreement, they're fighting. And I just sort of say, okay, for five minutes, just tell me your side of the story. And I can guarantee within two minutes, the other person is saying, that is not what happened. And as I, as I sit in media, I say, now, have you heard what she said? But they haven't heard. Because they've just heard their side of the story. It's almost entrenched in them. And they need somebody to break through to them and say, that is not what they are saying. And in mediations, people often say to me, oh, I just can't forgive them. When someone says, I just can't forgive, what they really mean is, I, I, I won't forgive them. And so that you can forgive them. I've been told, and I haven't checked this, I've been told that the, uh, the grizzly bear in the forest can kill any animal, but chooses just one animal not to kill. With the wipe of a paw, he can kill any animal. There's just one animal in the forest he refuses to, cut, to kill. And that animal is a skunk. If that is true, I don't know why he doesn't kill the skunk, but perhaps he doesn't want to stink around, you know? And I want to say that, you know, that church is full of skunks. It's full of stinky people. I'm a skunk and you're a skunk and I will hurt you and you'll hurt me and I will offend you and you'll offend me. That's what it's like to live together as people, isn't it? But we're called to resolve that to address the hurts, to address the conflicts, to address the disagreements. Because if we don't, you'll wander and you'll wobble. Now here's what not to do. What not to do. Please don't shoot off an email to inflame the situation and BCC somebody else to include them in it. Please don't gather your little group of supporters and play the victim and soak up the sympathy and villainize the other person. Please don't act like a three-year-old having a temp temper tantrum. Please don't pretend to have resolved it and just coexist. Please don't refuse to hear a word of correction because you're always right. And this is the biggie. Please don't leave church. Please don't leave church and go to another church because you'll just find more conflict in your new church. So how do you resolve it? I, I, this is a, a revelation for me this week. I think verses 4 and 5 are, are teaching these women how to resolve this conflict. Three ways to resolve your conflicts. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even amongst conflicts, you rejoice in Jesus. I'll say it again, rejoice. That's the 14th time he said rejoice, be joyful. 
Remember, joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is that deep-seated security in who you are in Christ, that contentment in Jesus, grounded in Christ. Now, what has Christ done for you? He's forgiven you. He's restored you. He's redeemed you. And if you go to Christ and find your grounding in Christ and your joy in Jesus, and you can actually rejoice that this person is actually in Christ as well, they're a sister in Christ, they're a brother, brother in Christ, that might help you resolve the conflict. Find your joy in Jesus again, not in your disagreements. Why do we do that? Why do we celebrate disunity? And be gracious, verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. That word gracious is hard to translate. I think it means gentle or forbearing is another word. What he's saying there is that in your conflict, if you are gracious and if you are forbearing and if you are gentle and if you're ready to forgive, then just see how God might work to resolve this. So I think verse 5, let your graciousness be known to everyone, is exactly the opposite of the person who demands their rights, demands justice, who gossips and slanders. This is the person here in verse 5 who is willing to forgive. And you can spot that person, can't you? They really are playing out Philippians 2, you know, consider others better than yourself. And the last phrase he uses in verse 5 is, the Lord is near. And that truth about God will help you resolve your conflicts. The Lord is near. That word near in verse 5, it could be a, a temporal word to say that the Lord is coming soon, the Lord's about to return. Or it could be a spatial term to mean he's not far off, he is with you. You know, the, the Prince of Peace is with you. Whichever one of those two it is, they're both profoundly helpful for relational peace. Now, if the Lord is near, if he's with you personally, what does that mean? It means that he hears the way that you respond to the conflict. He hears when you say, how dare she speak to me like that. He hears you saying like that. He hears you bad-mouthing that person to somebody else. And he also hears the way that you are being treated. He's with you. But the Lord is coming soon, the Lord is returning soon, is also a great comfort. It means that at any moment, at any time, Jesus Christ could come back. And so let me ask you, do you want to go to glory with relational conflict unresolved? See, the key phrase is verse 3. Whose names are written in the book of life. That's the book that's mentioned in Revelation 21, the book that contains all the names of all the believers for all eternity. Now, we don't write our names in that book, but God does. So, Euodia's name's in that book, and Sintich's name is in that book, and these two women are going to spend all eternity together. So, best to sort it out now, yeah? It would be a wonderful church to know this if we, if we lived in peace with each other. As far as it depends on you, says Romans chapter 12, there are some situations where you do seek peace, you do pursue peace, but it's just, just not accepted. I've just finished another belonging course and one of our expectations of membership is, is this. I'm going to read it to you. 
If you've done belong, you've all sat, th- all sat through this, you've all said yes to this. It says this, we will pursue reconciliation when offense occurs between members and we reject all opportunity to speak or to hear gossip or slander. See, a healthy church family is not defined by absence of conflict. It's defined by the way that we handle the conflicts. So pursue relational peace, number one. Number two, experience God's peace. So pursue that relational peace and experience God's true peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I think was my second memory verse I learned 27 years ago. It kind of throws you when you read it in a different translation. Don't worry about anything, he says. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's an incredibly comforting verse, isn't it? Actually, I find it really confronting and challenging. Yeah, of course it's comforting, but for me, it's more of a challenge. See, I'm a born warrior. I was thinking this week, you know, what things have I worried about this week? Oh, lots of things. How long have I spent worrying this week? Oh, vast amounts of time. What did that worrying achieve this week? Not a lot, apart from sleep deprivation. And I can quote this verse. I can pull it out for our year of prayer, but I'm particularly bad at doing it. See the promise of verse 7, the peace of God. That's the only time that phrase is used in the New Testament. The peace of God. Not peace with God, but the peace of God. God's experiential peace that will flood your inner being. It will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. God's peace will protect you, will station itself around you, that you'll experience an inexplicable, beyond understanding kind of peace in your life, even in the midst of the, the deepest anxieties and the deepest worries. It's a nice promise, but how do you do it? It's really quite simple. Do you ever read the scripture and you say, oh, it's really obvious. Verse 6. Don't worry about anything. See the the totality of that? Don't worry about anything. In contrast, in everything, talk to God. So nothing to worry about and everything to talk to God about. That's what he's saying. In our evening church, we're going to sing tonight, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Got that great line, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do, we do not carry everything to God in prayer. See, see God has given us the, the greatest tool to deal with anxiety. It's called prayer. I know that sounds simple. But if we start to take God at his word, you may experience a peace that you do not understand. And I know that our society has been labeled the age of anxiety. There's more stress-related illnesses and sickness at any time in history. 
Now here's the crazy thing about worry and anxiety. Listen to this from a research paper in the US. The average person worries about 40% of things that will never happen to them. 30% of things about the past that you cannot change. So there's 70% gone already. Things that are never going to happen and things that you can't change. 12% about your health that by your worrying it makes things worse. 10% about criticism from other people which is mostly untrue. So we're up to 92%. Just 8% of things that we worry about are real problems. Let me ask you, what, what are you saying about God when you choose to, to dwell in your worrying and refuse to talk to God about it? What are you saying to God when you refuse to pray about it? Aren't we saying, God, you don't really care? He tells us to cast our anxiety onto him because he cares for us. You don't really care, God. That's what we're saying. I don't, I don't need you, God. Or we're saying, God, you're not powerful enough. Now, you can't really change the situation, God, so I'm not going to bother to pray about it. Or perhaps we're saying, do you really love me, God? Because if you love me, you wouldn't take me through this situation. He says, verse 5, verse 6, in everything, every situation, every worry, every anxiety, talk to the Lord through prayer and petition. Prayer is the broad term for talking to God. Petition is sharing your particular needs. With thanksgiving, with a heart of gratitude, let your requests, be quite specific about your needs, let your requests be known to God. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you actually prayed to God in the midst of an anxiety or worry moment? Let's just try it. You go home this afternoon and, I don't know, you discover a rash on your body. What's the first thing that Paul Dale does? Dr. Google. Run to Dr. Google. And I assume that I've got the worst possible case scenario. In seconds, I can be in the worst possible case scenario. And I can literally spend hours and hours and hours looking at stuff, thinking I've got stuff. Here's the alternative. Quick arrow prayer. Oh, wow, Lord. Where did that come from? What is that, Lord? You, you, you know me. You know my body. You know what it is, Lord. Thank you for good doctors. Thank you for a good hospital. Please give me peace amongst this. Then you pick up the phone and you call the doctor or you go to the hospital. See the difference? And I can guarantee if you do the latter, you'll have this peace that you cannot explain. Uh, maybe your work's making some retrenchments at the moment and your job's on the line. And you can worry and you can be anxious or you could just say, Lord... You know how much I love my job. You know how much I need this job. Lord, I know you are sovereign in control of all things. You know I'd love to keep my job. So please, when I go into that interview on Wednesday, may I hear the words, I've kept my job. But if not, Lord, I trust you to provide. And when you talk to God, it's like a relationship, isn't it? He is your heavenly Father. He does know you perfectly. So talk to him and run to him. And you will experience his peace. 
But you might have noticed in verse 7 he talks about the peace of God. But come down to verse 9. What's the promise at the end of the verse 9? The God of peace will be with you. It's not just saying that you'll experience God's peace in some experiential kind of way. He's saying God himself, the God of peace, the Prince of Peace, will actually be alongside you, be, will be in you, and will walk alongside you through this difficult time. But to do that, to experience the God of peace, you've got to, to practice what you preach. He says, finally, brothers, verse 8, use your mind. Transform your mind. Feed your mind. Whatever is true, not false, not lies, not half-truths, whatever is true and whatever is honorable or excellent, whatever is right or just, whatever is pure, not sleazy, but holy thinking, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable or not offensive, whatever you feed your mind with, make sure that you're feeding your mind with beautiful truths about God and his world and his church and his people and his character. Don't let your mind be filled with these, these filth of the world or half-truths or lies or false promises. Feed your mind and dwell on these things. Think about these things. Don Carson says we need to spend much more thoughtful time in the scriptures, we need to get rid of the trash of the world with the treasures of God's word. Let's go back to my rash on my body. If after I'd prayed, instead of spending an hour on Dr. Google, I actually opened my Bible and read the scriptures and fed on God's word, I might not just experience this experiential peace of God, but actually know that the character of my God who's with me. When we hide God's word in our hearts, not just a few memory verses, but we actually, actually soak ourselves in God. And then verse 9, we do what we've learned. We live it out. We speak it out. Then the promise is the God of peace will be with you. God himself will take up residence by his spirit and he will walk that journey with you. See the two dangers in your life? Really simple. Conflict will cause you to wander. So resolve the conflict and stand firm. And anxiety will cause you to wander. So bring it to the Lord, leave it with the Lord, and experience his peace. So pursue relational peace, experience God's peace. And I'm guessing that all of us here in this room this morning have got some work to do with God, haven't we? Why don't I give us 30 seconds to talk to God right now and then we'll respond in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word 
does not return to you empty, and so I pray that your spirit would be doing a, a mighty and powerful work in each of us here this morning. Father, give us a desire to resolve conflict quickly. And give us the, the, the will to actually do it. And Father, I pray that we would enjoy and experience and delight in your peace. The peace that comes through our prayer life and through filling our minds with wonderful truths from your word. We long to be a church that really does love each other well and stands firm in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.